0: This Dharma Talk is brought to you by the Chicago Zen Meditation Community. Learn about us and our teacher, Miyoshi Thompson, at zenchicago.org. Good
1: evening. It's really nice to be back in the Zendo after having been away with uh, COVID for the entire month of September 1st Mary. And then I uh, were out. Is there anyone here who has not had COVID? No. Oh, Nick. Yes, <laughs> you're the last holdout, Nick. <laughs> as far as I know, I might not have, you know, might not have tested positive, but yeah, indeed. Um. I guess more than half of Americans have had it. And uh, so that means it's nothing special. Surely, when I had it, I found it was a disease I couldn't ignore. It wasn't the kind of thing that you could just go about your life with. But um, anytime I had the feeling, you know, like, oh, this sucks, uh, I'd sober up with the knowledge, nothing special. Everybody gets this. And I'm pretty grateful that I got it in 2023 rather than 2020. Um, I had only had it for a couple of days when I started taking very effective medicine that helps Paxlovid. Um, And actually seeing how quickly it progressed even with the medicine, uh, until the medicine started taking effect. I could see um, uh, this could go from bad to worse. You know? A couple of years ago, COVID might have had a pretty devastating effect on me, maybe on Mary. But um, now, with you know vaccinations and boosters and antivirals, um, I was sure that I, I would be nowhere close to being hospitalized. And I was never even a little short of breath. So I recovered. And I had a rebound (laughs) and then I recovered. Our Zen way is to use every experience to deepen our capacity to be in contact with reality. Now the name for reality is the Dharma. Or we could say, we develop the capacity to meet Buddha. Especially our adversities should help us turn towards the Dharma. Sometimes, you know, just feeling the touch of the whip is enough to bring us closer to the Dharma. Other times, you know, we don't really pay attention. And even when the whip bites into our flesh, we don't really pay attention. We can get pretty intoxicated in our self-absorption. We can get intoxicated with our feelings of being entitled, self-centered. And intoxicants like these can help us to ignore even the whip that bites our flesh. Our practice ultimately is to be sobered up by seeing the shadow of the whip. This is the practice of mindfulness. This is the practice of seeing Buddha's wisdom in real time in everyday life. While I was sick, you know, I was tired and I had low energy. But at the same time, my friend, Larry Matea, for whom we chanted to Avalokiteshvara this evening, he was being told that um, there was nothing more that could be done for his uh, metastasized pancreatic cancer and that it was time for hospice. He's known for a year that he's had tumors in his lung and his liver. But he didn't tell me until just a couple of weeks ago. His doctor told him that they don't see this very often, because mostly people with this disease don't live enough, live long enough for the disease to progress to that point where it gets to the lung and the liver. He's survived over four years past his diagnosis and he put a lot of effort into his treatment.
0: Whenever he felt
1: better, he would be active and engaged. He was always uninterested in complaining. Now he's short of breath, or he was short of breath, weak and fatigued. Um, Hospice, you know, brought palliative care. So they gave him supplemental oxygen and uh, a medicine called albuterol, which kind of helps the lungs open up and work better. They gave him tramadol to help him sleep, and he feels much better. He feels more like himself. He has a walker so he can get around a little bit. Once he recognized where he really was and took that in and responded to it, things got a lot better for him. For now, he can enjoy his breath. When it's time for hospice, it's good to know that it's time for hospice. My friend Larry's um, experiences with his illness kind of put things in perspective for me. My illness that seemed like the whip when I was self-absorbed was just really the shadow of the whip. As I was starting to recover the first time, Mary and I went for a walk on a really nice fall day. And you know, it was one of those days, the sun was shining, birds are singing. And uh, I was finally on my feet, you know, and I thought how rich and full this is. You know how it is when a fever lifts and Finally, you feel like you're part of the stream moving along instead of the rock that's stuck on the bottom of the stream while everything goes past. This, this pleasure that I felt, you know, I also thought how easy it is to attach to this, to grasp at it, to feel like, oh, this is the way things should always be. To feel like this is what we're entitled to. But how certain we are to lose this and how inevitable the suffering that will arise from clinging to the impermanent. The way we want things to be is just a thought, isn't it? Are we really so naive is to be disappointed when our thoughts turn out to be just thoughts, and they do not turn
0: out to be reality.
1: Buddha wanted us to see this before we really fell into the pit of wanting things to be different. The pit of wanting the things that we liked to be lasting. He wanted us to see the shadow of the whip and to live according to that wisdom. Our practice in illness is to turn toward the illness and to see it with Buddha's eye, see it with the true Dharma eye. One of the great teachers in our lineage, Dongshan, said when he did this, when he turned towards illness, then he no longer saw any illness. And our practice is to recognize it for what it is. Illness is part of the chaotic perfection of the universe. It's just as inevitable and as random as birds that go to a feeder. Will the chickadee be next? the blue jay. We learn not to have any preferences for the birds that come to the feeder. They will do it as they do it. And illness and health are like this.
0: Some of the teachers
1: in our Zen tradition, when they were ill, managed to give some of their most profound teachings and when i was ill i turned to one of them to help me and this teacher was named mazu you've heard me tell stories about him before when mazu was a student his teacher in came up to him while he was in zazen and he asked him what is your intention in doing zazen And Mazu said that his intention was to become a Buddha. And Nanyue very skillfully helped him to get out of
0: that cave.
1: Later, Mazu himself taught this very mind is Buddha. There's nothing that we have to become. Uh, to align with Buddha. This very mind he taught is Buddha. And he proved that he hadn't wasted his time with Nanyue after all. His name, Mazu, is two characters, right? The second one, Zu, means teacher or master. And first one, Ma, means horse. So he was the horse master or the master horse. He was a very large imposing man, very powerful. And I studied when I was ill, I studied him with the question, when he was ill at the end of his life, what was his relationship to illness? So this is recorded in a very short koan in the Book of Serenity. Uh, the monastery superintendent came up to Mazu and asked, Master, how is your venerable state these days? And the great teacher said,
0: sun face Buddha, moon-faced Buddha. That's what he said. He kept a teaching about Buddha to the very end of his life.
1: These names for Buddhas, Sunface and Moonface, come from a sutra. And Sunface Buddha was said to have a lifetime of 1,800 years. And Moonface Buddha was said to have
0: a lifetime of a day and a night.
1: You know, Sun-faced Buddha and moon-faced Buddha sound like the attributes of mythical Buddhas, but actually they are attributes of us all. We will all be there.
0: These are commonplace features of our life. Who can deny that one day our lifespan will be a day and a night?
1: And when we recognize the deep wisdom of our radical continuity with everything, it's really hard to say what is birth and what is death. If we can get a little freedom from our prison of self, it becomes clear that our lifespan is far beyond even that of old sunface
0: The fascinating
1: thing about uh, Master Ma in this statement that he makes is that he names our transient and ever-changing life for what it is, he
0: names it Buddha under the sun. Under the moon, it's Buddha.
1: It's good for us. What more would we want than Buddha? Would we really repudiate Buddha if we didn't like what was happening? Would we avoid Buddha? Would we insist that we should have more Buddha,
0: or less Buddha? Of
1: course we would. Because that's who we are. We really don't get it, you know, that whatever's here is Buddha. There's COVID Buddha. There's sunny sky Buddha. There's sitting with Sangha Buddha. There's genocide in Gaza Buddha. There's the collapse of democracy Buddha.
0: There's Donald Buddha.
1: Mazu might have said to the superintendent, I've been teaching Buddha for 50 years and you still ask me what's going on? It's very difficult to accept that um, the whip that penetrates our marrow, our illnesses and our difficulties our Buddha. Even if we see it intellectually, it's very hard for us not to separate from what really is, not to reject what we don't like. I recently heard Reb Anderson give one of his profound comments on human nature.
0: He said, mostly what we
1: want is to get away from here. I thought that's really true. Pay attention. The next time you move from doing one thing to another. If you look closely, can you see that something that you don't really like is beginning to arise? Normally, you know, we make adjustments automatically. Even without recognizing that we are trying to turn away from what is right here. When you get up from your computer to make lunch, isn't it because there was a little pang of hunger that was unpleasant? Or because the thing that you were working on had gotten kind of tiresome? Some part of you said, Let's get out of here. And mostly this is the principle that drives us. Let's get out of here. <coughs> but as Zen students, our task is to look Buddha in the face. And we will look Buddha in the face take on what Reb Anderson called the practice of not running from our
0: experience.
1: That's what Mazu told the monk about his venerable state. He said, I am looking Buddha in the face. Buddha doesn't refer to the way we normally think about Buddha, you know, the historical individual. Buddha refers to the way Buddha thought about Buddha. Buddha refers to what he discovered about who he really was when he saw the morning star. Buddha means reality, this moment. Mazu called it this very mind. But he might easily have said, this very moment is Buddha. So the man who collected these koans uh, wrote a verse about this koan. His name was Hongjur. He wrote a verse. And this is the verse he wrote about this koan. Sun-faced Buddha, moon-faced Buddha, stars fall, thunder rolls, the mirror faces forms without subjectivity. The pearl in a bowl rolls of itself. Don't you see? Before the hammer, gold refined a hundred times. Under the scissors, silk
0: from one loom.
1: We can't help but use the scissors to cut the silk. When I had a fever, I'm sure it was okay with Buddha that I took Tylenol. But we should know that it all comes from one loom. None of our manipulations can change that. We can try to run away from our experience, but we cannot accomplish it. This reality, or maybe we call it Buddha, can't be divided. It presents itself as a whole, and that's what it is. And we can't divide ourselves from it. What would our life be like if we truly opened to that, that we can't divide ourselves from what is right here? It was the teacher who reflected on mazu and he said the horse in his prime tramples everyone
0: on earth to death
1: our sense of individual specialness our separateness does not survive the wisdom that mazu brings us sun-faced buddha has to include Moonface Buddha. No matter how long a life, it will always include one day and one night. No matter how short a life we have, when we look at it with prajna, with our deep wisdom, we cannot tell long or short. We cannot say where life begins and where life ends. Each includes the other. One night, uh, while I was ill, I woke up in the middle of the night and I really wanted to be asleep. I really did not want to, consciously experience being ill anymore i just wanted to sleep and it was kind of agitating you know to wake up in the middle of the night i thought to myself what if sleep and waking include each other what if they are equivalent what if they are silk from one loom So I said to myself, I won't separate myself from my wakefulness. So I just entered into wakefulness without any resistance to it. And of course, I fell asleep. (laughs) Right? Because the thing that was keeping me awake was that I was fighting being awake. I was actually pretty tired. And as soon as I stopped it, as soon as I accepted As soon as I entered into the wakefulness, then I was asleep. Like everyone else, we Zen students want to turn away sometimes. We want to get out of here. Looking into Buddha's face is our practice. But we need to work with ourselves to be able to do that. We need to cultivate this practice. And we do it by accessing our wisdom, our equanimity, our mindfulness. Sometimes even we cultivate cultivate gratitude
0: for a moment, whatever it is.
1: We were talking about this on Saturday, and, and Mary said, you know, I don't think I could ever feel grateful for a barbaric war between Israel and Hamas, of course, of course.
0: Yet, under the
1: scissors, it's silk from one loom. What about this moment that includes war and includes everything else. War in the Middle East cannot separate from this moment of studying together. We really don't get to reject this, uh, I'm sorry, to have some of this moment and reject the rest of it. When you go to a concert, you know you buy a ticket, but the ticket admits you to the whole thing. It admits you to the people who are talking in front of you and people who are leaning forward so you can't see what's going on on the stage. The ticket admits you to the whole thing. I think there's is something to be grateful for in adversity. Even the last breath is still breath. When you're drinking some flavorful beverage, have you ever tipped up the glass so you could get the last drop? Does being the last make the drop bitter?
0: What I'll say is that moment always presents us with
1: the Dharma. I'm not sure I've ever had an illness that didn't bring some growth. And when we meet the Dharma, we meet it with gratitude and very often with tears.